Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. If we have not met, I'm Gabe Phillips, married to this beautiful lady called Fiona here, uh, who is carrying our second child, coming to a theatre near us, Bloberg Theatre, end of May, and we've got uh, little Olivia Grace who turned two yesterday. She told us that she's two, so I'm now a dad of a toddler, so it's really, really cool. Very proud of you, Lives. Good. Wonderful. And it's also a huge privilege. I've got my mum and dad here visiting from Pretoria. They're the grandparents of Olivia. Oh, why not? Why not? And uh, my biggest fear this morning is the fact that the other night I was, um, I mean, so caught up with this word that's burning inside my, my heart for this morning, um, but I started to preach it to my wife the other night. It was about nine o'clock in the evening, and we were lying in bed, and uh, at, she, is, she fell asleep after point one. So I'm a little bit nervous that uh, we might be in for a bit of trouble, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my hardest this morning to, to keep us awake. But more than that, I really believe God is going to do something really profound in our hearts. So without any further ado, we're going to read some scripture. It'll be on the screen behind me, and it says this. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me what you have in the house. Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was filled to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her, and then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. Haven't even finished reading the scripture, and Kate's saying it's good. Come on, it's going to be a great morning. Come on. But if briefly, let's just, just recount what happened in that story. If you, if you dozed off there, there we have a woman who is a, who's been a faithful Christian, followed God. Uh, her husband has been involved in ministry. Uh, he dies, and all of a sudden, the funds, the, the retirement policies don't kick in. The funds don't kick in just quite like she thought. And there's a whole lot of debt that needs to be paid, and she starts to freak out. How am I going to make ends meet? How is this, how is this situation going to be in my favor going forward? So a man of God, Elisha, comes by. She says, hey, come on. Help me out here. Help me out. What's going on? I've been faithful, and now it seems like I'm stuck with a whole load of trouble. So he says to her this question. He says, what is inside your house? And she looks at him and says, nothing. My house is empty. How do you think I'm good? I've got this long list of demands of me, but I've got very small resources. I cannot, I cannot do anything that is laid before me. And they're actually going to come and take my two sons away as slaves to try and repay that debt. There's nothing in my house. As I read that story this week, I suddenly start to ask the question, maybe a lot of our lives seem like similar situations. Maybe it's where there's a whole lot of pressure that's coming down on you, a whole lot of expectations, a whole lot of demands, and you're feeling overwhelmed by life, maybe in relationships, maybe in finances, maybe in emotions. You're feeling really under pressure on a lot of fronts. And when you look at your resources in, in, your, in yourself, within or without, you're feeling, actually, I don't have much to fulfill these resources. Or am I the only one who says this of my own situations? Often situations come my way and I go, I don't know how I'm going to cope. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet in that moment. I don't know how I'm going to do it. 
Maybe you're here this morning and your life is feeling a little bit like that lady's and you're feeling a little bit empty. You feel a little bit depleted. You're feeling at a dead end. Maybe it's from without. Maybe it's a boss that's been coming. He's making promises to you or a relationship. Somebody's been making promises, but you know those promises are empty. And you're going, actually, I, I, can't, I can't take your word for it because actually the list is so big of the demands. I don't know how I'm going to fulfill them on that word. Or, or maybe it's within yourself. You've been making promises. This is the last time I'm going to do this. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to have, I'm not going to respond in that way again. I'm not going to go to that thing again. But every time you know that your promises are empty, they ring hollow and you come back again to the same place. And again and again, I don't know about you, but you come to the end of yourself and saying, the list of demands is large, but my house feels empty. Internally, I feel empty. Well, here's the story this morning. And the great news I want to preach to us is that I really believe though your house or your life may feel empty, there's more inside of you than you know. I don't know where you're from this morning. I don't know what you've done or how you found your way here. There's more inside of you than you know. And actually, in fact, the great news of the gospel is that though you may feel empty, when Jesus enters your story, he promises to bring fullness of life. Fullness of life. And on the back of that, I want to tell you the title of my sermon. We're going to preach this together this morning. The title of my sermon is You're Full of It. So why don't you turn three, to three people around you Give him a cheeky grin and say, you're full of it. <laughs> if you've still got some friends around you and they're not offended, why don't we pray to Jesus to help us as we lean into his word. Father, I thank you for the privilege this morning to lean into you. Uh, though our world almost in, in table view right now in South Africa with, with power cuts becoming a, a norm and, and with situations feeling a bit up in the air, I thank you, Father God, that we have a source of power that is not of this world. We have a source of power that wants to fill our, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our lives to the brim this morning. So, Father, would you open our hearts wide to receive your word by faith? Because nothing else satisfies quite like your word. And your word brings dead things to life. Do it in me as I preach. Do it in us as we listen. And I thank you, Father, that you would seal this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You're full of it. You're full of it. Three things out of this text, out of this, this, uh, this concept this morning that I want to explain to us. And first point will be this. I'd love you to take notes, or really, if you're not going to take notes, you're going to have to say it a hundred times so you remember it. Number one, is that you are full of God's favor. Let's say it together. One, two, three. I'm full of God's favor. Let's try it one more time. One more time. It's 8.30. I know. It's early. One, two, three. Come on. It's good to remind our hearts. Because I think many of us live with this concept that God is angry at us. We live with this concept that God is keeping a tally, some sort of score about, oh, it did well. Oh, a black mark. Oh, and we hope at some level that our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. Or, or even at the very least, some of us are thinking that God is playing the ultimate, I know what you did last summer type of routine with us. That though the facade is here, He knows what, forget last summer, what you did last night maybe for some of you. God knows. And we've got this fear, this anxiety, this apprehension to come to God. And I want to say that image of God of thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening, couldn't be more further from the truth. As I read scripture, it could not be more further from the truth. But to understand this fully and not on a superficial level, we have to understand and come to wrestle with this concept called God's wrath. 
I don't know if you've ever heard that. God's wrath. It's over either there's two excesses or errors that happen with God's wrath. It's either over preached and you have a, a, a preacher who's spitting at the front row with anger and venom in his eyes saying, repent. And, you, and everyone's like, oh, goodness, we've got to make sure we're in trouble here. Or on the other hand, it's so underplayed, not even mentioned, that actually we think this God is this cosmic hippie saying, it's okay. I'm okay with whatever's going on. When actually, in fact, there's a biblical principle we have to understand of God's wrath. It doesn't play well. No conferences are named after it. Grace conference seemed to be better than God's wrath conference. We just went with that one. You won't find it on coffee cups. You won't find it at the back of your grandmother's toilet seat. You won't find it on the back of a taxi. God's wrath is not a popular topic, but we have to understand it to get the fullness of the good news. Let me help us this morning. Is that God's wrath was legitimate and it was right and true, but it was not against you. God's wrath was against our sinful natures. The sinful nature that takes root of mankind. At the very beginning, Adam and Eve gave way to not their God-like nature. They were made in His image, but then they went. They turned away in rebellion from that image and said, we want to be gods unto ourselves and picked up for mankind a sinful nature. A sinful nature that cannot help but be disobedient. A sinful nature that cannot help but going away and astray and leading ourselves into a disobedience and death. And God hates this sinful nature, not because he's venomous or because he's some cosmic uh, angry judge in the sky who's going, that's not of me. No, he hates it. Why? He hates it like a good father hates anything that will lead destruction for his children. Because our sinful natures were robbing his children of their identity, of their purpose, of their joy, of their life, was depleting them of everything and was leading them to death. And I tell you, I would not be a good father if I watched my daughter do things that went to death and gave herself over to other people who would, who would mess around with her if I did not become angry. I'm a good father if I become angry over that. And we have an ultimate good father who was wrathful, angry at our sinful nature because he knew that a heart untethered to Jesus, untethered to his nature, will always go away astray. John Calvin, a great theologian, says it best. He says that the cross of Christ was the ultimate billboard declaring the father wants his kids back. That actually the Father's wrath was against our sinful nature, which had pulled us astray and away from His design and, and, and nature. And so much so that actually His wrath was just, it was right, it was true, and it was fully stored up against sinful man, against sin, and the enmity it brought between God and man. The wrath of God was so full to the brim that something had to happen. And that's why we start, we tell, why do we preach the gospel of good news so often to us? Is because this is the good news. God made a plan. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, fully God, fully man. And he took on the nature of a servant. And Jesus actually, the Bible tells us, he became our sin. The incredible thing is Jesus became our sin. He became, not didn't come and just uh, carry our sin. He became our sin. He became sinful man to stand in our place. The Bible says, where Adam messed up, Jesus became the second Adam, the one to restore all that was messed up. And so much so, I'm going to need some help here. Jerry, why don't you come help me? Bunty, why don't you come help me here quickly? So God's wrath was stored up so fully. If one of you can hold the bucket up here and one of you can pour it. Let's come on. Let's see who's got the muscles here. Jerry, good call. Good call. And God's wrath on Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, God's wrath was fully and completely poured out. Keep going, Bunty. We're doing well. We're doing well. 
completely and fully poured out upon his son. Completely and fully, right to the very brim. The last thing, you guys did well. Thank you so much. You guys are brilliant. So good. But here's the amazing thing. The Bible tells us, and this is rapid fire theology in, in 30 minutes, so we have to lean in here. But actually, the Bible tells us that God's wrath was emptied upon his son. Isaiah 51 says, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to its dregs. That when Jesus took the cup and he said, not, the, not, not your will, but my will, not my will, but yours be done. And he said, let this cup not pass before me. He took the cup and he drank it to his dregs to symbolize that the cup of God's wrath and fury was emptied completely upon his son. To the very dregs. A best illustration of this is that actually, uh, imagine right now in front of you a massive dam wall that's heaving under the weight of, of water and pressure. Hard for Cape Tonians after a drought, we, we struggle with that. But, but just imagine it. There's a dam wall that's above you that's towering over your, your puny existence and it's heaving with water. And as you stand under there marveling it, you start to see cracks in the wall. And you start to see the water that's teeming and pushing and pushing. And the walls start to crumble. And, in, and before you know it, this incredible tidal wave of water is rushing down to crush you. And you see it coming, and as it's coming, and about to crush you and obliterate you, a massive hole in the ground opens up and sucks every single last drop of that water whoop, at your feet. And you're not even left with a uh, splash on you. That is what Jesus did with the wrath of God. The wrath of God, which was fully against us, fully against our sinful nature, but it was fully poured out upon Jesus completely. And Jesus said, I became your sin. I stood, stood in your place where you could not receive that, and I received the fullness of it. This is what God has done for you and I. You know, the incredible thing is we have to understand this is the word propitiation. It's a theological word that, that you may or, not have, or may or may not have heard of, but propitiation basically means turning aside God's wrath. A better rendition or understanding of propitiation is that it was God emptying his wrath and fully, being sat, fully satisfied in Jesus. What God did, appreciated for our sin. So much so, on the cross when Jesus died, he says these words, Tetelestai! In our language, it is finished. But better translated, it was a marketplace term that they used to say in the marketplaces when debts were paid, paid in full. The best translation of tetelestai, what Jesus' last word on the cross was paid in full. Not paid just a little bit, paid the first down payment, waiting for the, the, the banks to come through. It's a 30-year deposit. No, no, paid in full, completely, to the brim, paid in full. That is what God did in Jesus Christ with, 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 for us. Psalm 103 says this. You guys aren't looking convinced. Psalm 103 says this. In Jesus, he removes our sin. removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, that might seem a long way for you. If you've ever traveled internationally, east coast, all the east, all the way, that side of the map. And west coast, go Hawaii, let's just keep going as far as we can go. That's a long way. Geographically, it's a long way. But in the Jewish mind, as far as east from the west was a colloquial term that meant eternity. It was a phrase that they would use, meaning how long are we going to have to wait? We have to wait from east till west till they come through for us. We're going to have to wait for that length of time that God has removed our sins, not geographically away from us, but uh, from linear. He's removed it from our existence completely. Another scripture will come up behind me now. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 says, once you were alienated. I love that word once. Once you were, it's all in the past tense. 
Once you were, that is the state of our condition before Jesus Christ. But when Jesus comes into our story, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, I've underlined the next two in my Bible. But now, because it's been emptied, there's not one drop remaining, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to represent you, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I love this because I've got this kindergarten image in my head of, of my, 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 my peers and my friends at that age. We used to play that game. I don't know if you ever played it. He loves me. He loves me not. Oh. He loves me. He loves me not. And I, I, and I think, and you always hope, oh, I hope, just really hope it lands on he or she loves me. Oh, oh, please. I think we play that with God. A lot of us, maybe not overtly, but in our hearts, we think that God is working on that. He loves me because I'm doing well. But when things are not going well, when I'm feeling not up to the mark, he loves me not. And we're really just praying that we land on he loves me before a bus hits us. And I hope on that day, it lands on he loves me. <sighs> Nervous. When actually, in fact, the incredible news is, who do we think we are that we can affect God's mood by our measly performance, good or bad? Good or bad. He's not this cosmic going, oh, that's so good. The Bible he says your good deeds are like filthy rags to him. He says he's not measuring up on against that. He says only one came up against the measuring stick named Jesus, and he was perfection. So when we think that we can put our, our little bit of righteousness to try and we just want to add, you know, Jesus is good, but let me add just a little bit. You're saying Jesus is good, but not enough. He didn't fully satisfy God. I need to step up to the mark. The Bible says it this way. Another word is justification. It's a big word, but I was taught years ago that justification means just as if I'd never sinned. Justification. We've been fully justified by Jesus. Just as if I'd never sinned. You know what that means for us? It means the penalty of our past sins has been fully taken away by Jesus. It means that the penalty of our present sins, what you're doing right now, even what you're thinking and considering right now, has been fully satisfied in Jesus. Here's a shocker. The things, the sins you haven't even come up with, the sins that your incredible brain has not even fathomed that you're going to do in 10 years' time yet, fully paid for. Fully paid for. That should shock us. That should, that should rip at our hearts going, what? No way. That is too scandalous. That's too good. And they go, that's why it's called the good news. Not the average news. Not the slightly impressive news, but the good news. And we have to remind our hearts of this because we forget that from day one we live under the smile of God. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I often, I still wrestle with this where I know that God is fully paid for, my, for my, my, the penalty of my sins in Jesus. I'm fully paid up. I'm fully in His favor. But I go, but you know what? I'm fee I need to still, I want to add just a little bit. Let me just really, in my own strength, I want to add my own abilities to this. And, when I, and how do I measure this? When I'm not measuring up, I'm going, what can I do to make myself feel better before God? That's what I often will think. What can I do to make myself feel more righteous before him? Do you know what that's like? That's, uh, in Galatians 4, it gives us this story. It says that the law, this, think, this thinking that we can top up what Jesus did just to make sure God's really pleased with us, that we can top up Jesus. Uh, it's like an MTM package, top up Jesus. You know, I don't know, sorry, just thought of that now. Take that off the tape. Uh, top up Jesus. You know, we think we can top up. The, it says the law... It was, it was given as, a, it was a, as like a guardian, a better understanding. It was like a babysitter waiting for our true parent Jesus, our true parent Grace to come home. Now, if you've ever had a babysitter or been in those arrangements, parents don't pay babysitters 
to teach their children the 12 times table. We're going out for dinner. When we're back, I'd love to hear how they're learning Latin and algebra. No, no, no. A babysitter is paid. Keep the kids alive. Just make sure they don't die. And most time parents, when they pay, mom and dad, dad takes mom out and he whines and dines her. He pays the babysitter not to, to try and do something that they can't. He says, just keep them alive until the true parents come home who are going to bring them into fullness, the true parents. And here's the kicker though. When, the true, when parents come home and, he's the, and dad has whined and dined mom and things are going well, the kids are asleep, you know, he comes home. The last thing he wants is babysitter to overstay the welcome. Babysitters say, ah, oh, so good to have you guys home. Let's just chat a little bit. No, no, no. If it was me, forgive me. I'm coming home. Barry White's going on. Babysitter's going out. And who knows what will happen from there. What I'm saying here is this. When we think we can add to this, we are saying we, just, we want the true parent grace, but we want to keep the babysitter here. And let me tell you, the babysitter of law interferes with intimacy. Why are you not engaging with God and understanding this? Because you think he's, he's, I've got his favor, but not completely. I still have to keep doing something to prove it. Can I say get rid of the babysitter and receive the fullness of his favor today that he is pleased with me? That is really good preaching. I'm like, sheesh, I wish I was taking notes. Second point this morning, you are full of it. We'll say it again, the second one, you are full of his nature. Can you repeat it with me? You are full. Come on, good this morning. You see, what happens is I think that we often think that, yeah, cool, that's good, Gabe, I'm forgiven. But I'm left alone as aimless. I'm left alone as this, this ve- I'm forgiven. But I'm, you know, when temptations come, I'm still captive to sin, though. You know, I can't really, I can't say no to sin. I can't say no to things. I still got to dig deep into my own resources. I still, yeah, cool, I'm forgiven. I know that God's forgiven me. I know I'm going to heaven. He loves me. That's great. But actually, that's fine. That's enough. But the Bible doesn't stop there. This is why it's really good news. We've got to understand this. I'm going to ask Bunty and Jerry to come up again while they prepare. Philippians 2 says this. It says, it'll be on the screen now. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Hold up, guys. Hold up, wait. Hold up there. Get ready. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he has the understanding that Jesus, who was fully God, came, and on the cross, he did not just become us, and he emptied himself of his God nature, and he gave it to us. It's called the great exchange, that he became sinful man, but he just didn't take our sins. He gave us something in his stead. He became our sin, but he gave us his righteousness. He didn't just stop at this level here. This is the amazing thing. Before you pour, guys, Colossians 2 verse 9 to 10 says, it will be on the screen, says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells. For in Christ the fullness of God dwells. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Oh, I love the scriptures. It's getting me excited already. So let this what happened on the cross. Bunty, I'm glad you went to gym this week. On the cross, he poured out his wrath, but also on the cross, he poured out his nature he emptied himself of his nature into us so that we would be not just half to the, to the uh, mediocre level, but actually to the brim, we'll be full of his nature. So he became our sin. We become what Jesus Christ is. This is the powerful thing. You guys are doing a great job behind me. Let me explain this way, that Jesus gave up his sonship and he took over our slave mentality. He became the slave so that we could become the sons. 
This is the great exchange. Jesus became a slave, somebody who was empty, emptied of his existence and poured it even to death on a cross. And he poured it into broken humanity. Another scripture says this way in Corinthians. says, the old is gone, the new has come. Behold, you are new creations. Now, there's two ways to translate that word new. The old is gone, the new has come. We can fall into one era, which is the new meaning upgrade. Neos is the Greek word. The new, the upgrade has come. And we, we are a, a society that knows upgrades. I-20 is cool until the I-30. Oh, extra boot space. It's the same but different. We know uh, upgrades. We go every year, you know, hey, iPhone 9 was great. Oh, iPhone 10. What can it do different? We're not too sure, but it looks cooler. You know, we love just the slightly better version of upgrades. The old is gone and a slightly better version of has come. But that's not what the Bible uses. When Paul writes that word, he says the old is gone. He doesn't use upgrade. He uses another word in Greek, which means brand spanking new, never seen before new. The old is gone. The brand spanking never seen before. It's never, ever seen before. Not Gabe 2.0. Not Gabe trying a little bit harder. Not Gabe just being now a little bit religious. No, Gabe, who is no one ever seen before. Behold, a new creation. That actually we become new creations. Why? We're now full of his nature. We're full of him, his nature, his uh, ability to make us new. And so much so that actually the Bible tells us, as Terry reminded us last week, that Jesus said, when Abraham said he believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, credited to him as righteousness. So here's the incredible thought, is that we often think, I think too many of us stop here. We say, yeah, I'm forgiven, that's good. But the problem with just being forgiven leaves us in understanding that God in Jesus made us morally neutral. So he said, I'm forgiving, forgiven you. That's fine. I'm going to turn a blind eye to your sin, but good luck. So basically, God is making us morally neutral and giving us a second chance. But that's not what the gospel says. Because can I tell you, if you and I were given a second chance, we would mess it up again. And we would need Jesus to come die again and again and again and again. And you sinned again? Oh, Jesus, can you do it one more time for me, please? And that's why churches are filled with that. When people coming, oh, I'm so messed up again, fall at the feet of Jesus. I need you to forgive me of that. Now, no, repentance is a wonderful thing, but actually repentance that's re-crucifying re Christ again and again is showing that you are not understanding that you are full of His nature. And you are not meant to stay there. You're meant to walk into freedom. Here's the great news for you and I. is actually the Bible says He doesn't make us morally neutral. He puts us in credit. He doesn't just leave us, wipe away the, I'll wipe away your debt. He says, I'll actually put you in credit. And I'll credit to you as my righteousness, a righteousness that never runs dry, a resource that never runs dry. So when you're going, because in my own righteousness, my own good deeds, they have a limit. I'm like, ah, flip, I used that all up last week. God, you remember I was really generous three weeks ago. These three weeks was a long time ago. The good news is actually we're not dipping into our resource or our righteousness. We're dipping into his resource, which is always full, which is always a provision for you and I. This is the amazing understanding is that actually, Every time you're here, you're working from favor. You're working from our new nature, not for favor, not working for a new nature. You've been giving it from Jesus. And actually, you maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I've got nothing for my family. I've got nothing for my situation. I've got nothing left to give. I say, dig into a resource that does not run dry. Jesus. Dig into that resource. Because all other resources will leave you empty and frustrated and broken. 
Because here's the great news, is that actually it's not just the penalty of sin that's done away with, it's also the power of sin. He says, I'm giving you a new nature that has new attitudes, that has new passions, that has new desires, that doesn't just do the sinful way again, but actually Jesus said he's crucified our sinful nature with him on the cross. He's crucified our sinful nature. So why we keep digging up that old body and saying, no, no, but that's me. Let me practically tell you how this takes root, is that actually a lot of us still walk around with this tag saying, and it sounds wonderful, I'm a forgiven sinner. Not really biblical. Because Paul in the New Testament never, from the moment Jesus dies, never addresses even the most wicked Corinthian church who didn't fully get it. He addresses them as sons and daughters. Forgiven sons and daughters. Why? Because he says, the old is gone. Jesus, God does not, when he looks at you, he does not see Gabe trying harder. He looks at me and he says, he's hidden in my son, full of the nature of my son. And Jesus is perfection. I, I want to land this point and say actually that actually the Bible, John 1 tells us that in verse 12, says that we were not born of a husband's decision or a father's will, but we were born of God. We were born of God, not a religious system, but you were born of God, plucked out of your wicked ways and put into a brand new state. And actually, as I was thinking about this in the last couple of days, is that actually if you walk down dark streets when ESCOM turns the power off, you'll just every now and again, you'll stop and see one house with lights blazing. And you've realized they've plugged into a source that's off the grid. They've got a source that not, not, the neighbors don't have access to, but they've got a different source. And actually, you and I have got a different source, not a source dictated by the timetables of this world, not dictated by the pressures of this world. Times are tough, fall apart. No, we've got a resource that is always full. And I say, sons and daughters, plug into His nature. You've been given it, receive it, walk in it. I am full of His nature. Finally this morning, we're full of God's favor. We're full of His nature. And best of all, I love you to say it with me. One, two, three. It's on the screen now. You are full. Let's try one more time. We are full. I'm passionate this morning. Colossians 1 verse 25. Let's read it quickly. It says this. Paul writing says, I've become its servant. Talking about the gospel by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, fullness, fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love Paul preaching here. He says, I, I give myself to preach the message of God, the gospel in its fullness. Not just half measure, not just enough for you just to make sure that you feel good enough for Monday, and but come back next week when, and go, I need a word from God. Not just to keep you, sustain you for a little bit, but actually I want to give you fullness and tell you the fullness of Christ. And he goes on and he says this incredible, incredible thing here. He says, I want to tell you about the mystery, the secret of heaven that angels long to look into, that angels couldn't even fathom or taste or even half understand the fullness of the joy that God was doing in Christ Jesus. And everyone, everyone on planet Earth is seeking joy, they're seeking righteousness, they're seeking peace in different ways, they want to feel good about themselves, they're seeking. But as they seek, they realize that actually their lives are feeling empty. People try and fill up, but they realize that there's holes in the bucket. They go to different sources, and it, but, and it satisfies for a bit. We run after sinful pleasures, we run after even good deeds, and try and, actually, let me just look after people, let me, let me throw myself, I just find my passion, if I just find my right job, if I just find the right spouse. If I, and actually, every single time, they realize that that water never sustains and leads me to emptiness again. But the great news, and actually, Christians, we are, we are guilty of this as well. 
Because we haven't fully understood this, that actually to the Colossian church, which would be written to us, I can imagine, Paul writes in 2 verse 8, he says actually don't fall prey to empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Because we always think there's a secret somewhere, another secret that if I just find that, if that just happens, then. When Paul says, no, no, I want to tell you the secret. I want to tell you the mystery of all the ages is not that just the penalty has been done away with, not just that the power to overcome sin has been given to you, but actually I've given you the person of God in fullness living inside of you. Surely this should make us go, wow. What does this mean? It means that the legal and relational elements of the gospel, the legal elements that in the courtroom of heaven, God says the wrath is fully satisfied, just paid in full, Debt is canceled. The courtroom reality, the lounge reality where Jesus says, actually, I'm not just going to courtroom, I'm, you now, you're going to be my son. God says, you're my son and my daughter. You have access to what I have access to. The legal, the legal and the relational elements of the gospel collide in something called union. That actually, when we come to Christ, that actually we're not now relating to God out there. He says, I'm going to come and live inside of you. And when Jesus prays this prayer, he says, I am in the Father and he is in me. The prayer that Jesus prays gets to be our prayer. Because Jesus, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He gives us the most precious resource, his son, and he puts it inside of us, our broken, empty, hollow lives. He says, I'm going to give you fullness in him. This is outstanding for me. Because this actually, when we understand this, this changes my very substance. It allows us to have intimacy with him. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says this, that I've been paid a ransom to rescue. Is it there? No? Read it. Pay that he paid a ransom to rescue us from our empty way of lives handed down to us by our forefathers. Jesus paid a ransom to, em- to rescue us from our empty way of lives, our empty life that's flown this way by the, the, the economy, that's thrown this way by relationship bust up, that's thrown this way when job pressures come over us, the wind that throws our lives like this again and again and again. He says, I've re- ransomed you to purchase you from that empty way of life. He said, this ransom was not silver or gold, but the blood of Jesus. Not something that devalues, not that something increases, but something that sustains forever, the blood of Jesus. And I love this, is the fact that actually the moment this, when we understand this, is that when our performance comes up empty, when you look at your life and you're going, my performance is empty, I don't have much else to give, my house is empty, I feel like this, I've got nothing left to give, his performance always comes up full. His performance on the cross was always perfect for you and I taking care of the penalty, taking care of the power of sin, and giving us the person of Christ Jesus in fullness. So maybe you're here today, I want to say, and you're saying, I don't have enough faith for what's happening next in my life. I don't have enough courage. I don't have strength for this moment. Look at your Savior Jesus, and he says, I've got this one. He's got this bill. Every single time you come and you, you'll go, oh, my card says over the limit. I don't have enough funds for this moment. Spiritually or emotionally or relationally, or whatever moment you find yourself in debt, he says, I've got this one because I'm in you in fullness. Trust me. This is me. I'm going to need my friends Jerry and Bunty one last time because he has the great news. Everyone wants to get on the act today. Because this, as you hold the guys, get there, the, the incredible thing is that translation where it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word glory can be ethereal. Sometimes you think glory, what's that? Is that means like, uh, when, like when the clouds align, glory. When, I don't know what you think of when you hear glory. It can be quite ethereal and out there and for super spiritual people. This is what, it's an earthy reality for, Paul says this, he says, 
Christ in you, the hope of glory, that word glory is kabod or kavod in the, in the original language, kavod. And I don't know what comes to your head when you think of kavod. What, it sounds heavy, hey? It sounds like something falling off a shelf, kavod. But that's exactly what it means. The hope of kavod is not some ethereal out there place. Kavod means weight, weightiness, heaviness, or best translated, fullness. Christ in you, the hope of fullness, substance, heaviness, understanding this. So when Jesus died, he pours not just only the wrath of God, fully satisfied, favor, the nature of God. He says, I'm actually going to put myself, I'm entrusting the greatest of deposits, I'm pouring myself into you in fullness. And what I love about this, when we understand this reality, these guys have been brilliant. Sure. When we understand this reality, thank you guys, is that when the wind blows in your life and you once were like this, the wind would blow. <laughs> oh, fall apart. Marriage is on the rocks because finances are tight. This is how the boss has gone out my back. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Emotions get flung out the window. These things happen. The great news is this is no longer you. This is you. And you're full of him. Kavod. You're full of him. That actually of substance, of fullness, the financials, finances fail. You stand. Relations will fall apart. You stand. Sin knocks at your door. You stand. Why? Because here's the greatest news. The tomb is empty so your life can be full. He's not in the grave anymore. He's in you. He's in you. Buddha's grave is there. Muhammad's grave is there. Jesus' grave is there. But he's not. He's not here. He is risen. Where is he? Living in me and you. The hope of glory, the hope of substance, the hope of kavod is living in you. So when the world throws something at you, you say, nothing's going to shake me because he's in me. Not my performance, not my ability, but I'm full of him. Here's the understanding as we land. Jesus said this, a promise, and we miss this again and again. We settle for just a little bit, just an appetizer, just a top up. When he says, no, I want you to lean into fullness. Jesus said this, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said this, are you ready? I came to they may have life and life to the full, to the brim, to the uttermost, to the fullness of life. Not this measly, weak Christianity where we're like, oh, we're the scum of the earth. No. So we are full of his nature. We're full of his favor. We're full of him. This is our understanding. So this morning, I wanna, wanna, as I land, I want to ask you a question. As we land. Back to our story, a woman there says, there's nothing in my house. What's in your house? There's nothing. He says, go find jars and watch what God's going to do. Put empty jars out and allow God to fill that space. Jeremiah the prophet said this. He says, my people have committed a sin. He says, they've turned away from me the source of living water. And they've gone and drunk from their own cisterns. Broken and cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Their own abilities, their own performances, their own ways to make plans, their own ability, promises to God, I'll try harder. He says, you've committed a sin, you've gone to that thing that has got holes in it that will never sustain, and God says, that's a sin against me. So you're saying, hey, this is too good to be true. What are you, you're not really preaching against sin. Oh, I'm preaching against sin, but sin was so bad that it needed a perfect Savior. Your attempt to clean up your mess will always leave a greater mess. But when you allow Him to come into your mess, He brings fullness and fullness of life. This morning, I want to say, oh, where are you drinking from, sir, ma'am? Are you drinking from your own resources, your own frustrations, your own plans, your own sin life, your own ability? Or are you saying, Jesus, I can't do it. I need to receive the fullness of your favor, the fullness of your nature, and the fullness of you in this moment. Can we stand to our feet? This morning, I really believe on the back of this message, the Holy Spirit is here.
Why? Because the Holy Spirit, His job is to make Jesus known to us. And when people start to speak about Jesus as, as the glorious one, the hope of glory, the, the wonderful counselor, the, the, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the, the God of all days, Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in closer because he's like, what are they saying about, about you, Jesus? What are they saying? I want to cement that in their hearts. If you today are saying, actually, I want to put aside my own wells, my own resources, my own abilities that try, that I try and keep and sustaining my own self. But I want to drink from your resource, Jesus, and receive and believe that I'm full of your favor, full of your nature, and full of you. Can you lift your hands and surrender to him? My hands are lifted high. Holy Spirit, would you cement this word in our hearts right now? Not as a, oh, that's an interesting preach not with some different thought processes, but with your spirit right now, would you seal the word of God in our hearts? Shift mindsets where, where people are even saying, is that, what, was that really too good to be true? I thank you, Father God, you'll put your truth deep in their hearts. Put the, heart, the truth deep in their hearts. Marriages, new substance is being poured in marriage, not, not greater efforts, not greater strategies, but actually greater trust in Jesus. Greater trust in the fullness of Christ in me. I thank you, Jesus. Would you do this right now? Bring us to a place of conviction. Bring us to a place of repentance. Where we said we've drunk from our own systems. We want to drink from you, Jesus. Your source that never runs dry. Finally, as I land, there's a, a man named George Whitfield. And he was a preacher. And he preached every, week in and week out to thousands and thousands of people in the fields in the 1700s. And his, his central text was always John 3 which would always land with this, this appeal saying, you must be born again. Not born of religious notions, not born of intellect, but born again of the Spirit. And somebody once came to said, why do you keep saying that again and again and again? You must be born again. His simple answer to it was this, because you must be born again. I want to say, sir, ma'am, maybe you're here today and you have not received Jesus as your Lord. You have not bowed your knee to him. Maybe you've played religious games. Maybe you've made promises to him, but you've not received his life as your life. I want to ask you in this moment, would you give your life, surrender to him, allow him to make you new? So with every eye closed here in this, in this moment, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, fully, truly, maybe you've played games, but you've never given your life to Jesus, but you're saying today, I want in on this, not on a new moralistic way, but I want in on this fullness of life. The enemy has stolen too much from me. I want in on you, Jesus. I'm going to turn from my own ways and turn back to you. If that's you, I love you right now. No one's looking around. I just would love you to lift your hand to Jesus as high as you can. Cool, thank you. Wonderful. Is there anyone else? One at the back. Can we pray just for these two people who put their hands up? Father, right now, these two hands that have maybe stumblingly, maybe whatever is going on in their heads. I thank you, Spirit of the living God. Would you awaken sons and daughters to your, your life? As they say, Jesus, I turn away from my sin. I turn away from my old ways. And I say, I trust you completely. I thank you, God. Sons and daughters would be totally and completely ignited by your life. That you died on the cross for them. To pay the full weight of the penalty of sin. To give them a new power. And the fullness of your relationship from day one, they become new creations. I thank you, Jesus, that they trust you completely. The old is gone, the new has come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.